Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we are rewinding back to June the 2nd, 2015, so right on four years ago. This was originally episode 1586, and it was called There Is No Sovereignty Without Mental Sovereignty. In other words, if you do not control your thoughts, if you do not control what you believe, if you do not control at least knowing why you believe what you believe, if, if you are being led by others to take on certain belief systems and to therefore base your life on things that other people have decided that you need to have in your head, you cannot be free. You do not have sovereignty. I don't even care what kind of government you have. I wouldn't care if you lived in a system that was as close to what we could call uh, an anarchy as possible. It was still a government, like a, a true minarchy, where government sought to basically making sure people could get from one place to another and that nobody took anything from anybody else. In even a place like that, if you have a system, whether it be through media or other means of control, where the average person thinks the way they do because of what we would call programming. And that's what, I mean, there's a reason when the executives get together and decide what the fall lineup's going to be on NBC or CBS or Fox or whatever, they refer to it as programming. Because that's exactly what it is. I don't have a lot of new material for you on this one. This original episode is deep enough on its own. But there's a reason I left you guys with this one while I'm gone. I am out right now somewhere on the Gulf of Mexico reprogramming my brain. I am literally reprogramming myself by separating myself from the system that is designed to control us. I mean, this is something I try to be vigilant about on a daily basis. I try to limit my consumption of the news. Whenever I hear any headline, whether it be verbally on the TV set or the radio or I read it online or what have you, I always couch it with it's probably some in some way and some level bullshit even if it's completely true it has probably been assembled in such a way and angled in such a way and presented in such a way with a specific formula designed to get a specific type of reaction out of me it is not what it is purported to be simply a report of the facts of what happened that's not what it is and the selection of the facts reported The things that affect your life the least are reported on the most because they're the things that you're afraid of and cause a reaction to you. So while we can be vigilant frequently and often and every day, we will slide, we will slip. And it is important at times that we take a step back. That's what I'm doing this week. And I encourage you to make sure you schedule these breaks in your life to reprogram your own mind. And remember this. Much like I talk about lifestyle design, if you do not design the life that you want to live, somebody is designing the life that you're going to live. If you don't program your mind to the things that you want it to know and do and think about and react to, then someone else is uploading those programs to your mind on a daily basis. With that, here we go. Back to June the 2nd, 2015. Originally episode 1586, There Is No Sovereignty 
without mental sovereignty. And remember, while rewinds are commercial-free, you can indeed always support the Survival Podcast by doing what? Your online shopping at tspaz.com. How it fits today's show. No, my friends. How many of you who are learned, educated individuals, if somebody would have said, who was the first guy that took two lead balls, two different weights, same density, same material, both lead, dropped them, measured the speed at which they found, and found that the density of an object determined its, its rate of fall, not its weight. Most of you would have said, oh, that was Galileo. Not at all <clears throat> wrong. Now, the reason that fits today's show is just because you've always believed something to be true doesn't mean that it is true. I'd like to you think about it this way. Sitting in front of me right now is a coffee cup full of hot, steaming, wonderful coffee from Mai Tai Coffee. And if you've never tried Mai Tai Coffee and you're an MSB member, let me suggest you use that benefit and get that discount because you will not want to drink anybody else's coffee once you try this stuff. And get get the Jack Special, the butter rum stuff. It's 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 amazing. Anyway, so they're sitting in front of me as a coffee cup. It's, it's, it's for a company that I used to be an officer in. Uh, called Syrian, C-E-R-I-O-N, Syrian Optimization Services. It says, Analyze, Apply, Achieve, which is a tagline that I created for the company and has the company's name. And the cup is orange and white, and the words are in blue. Okay. And I know that's orange. Just leave out the other two colors. I know that that color is orange because everybody in my life has always told me that color is orange. But you don't call it orange in a different language. So to somebody in another country, if you say that's orange, they might say naranja, right? Uh, they, they, they will not call it, and that would be wrong too because that's an orange of the fruit. The, the, the color orange in Spanish is actually a little different. Anaranjado. So in Spanish, we have two different words for something in English that we simply say orange for. One is a color, one is a fruit, and in, in, in English, we just call that orange fruit an orange. So the perspective that you have based on what you've been taught determines how you even name a thing. But let's try a little thought experiment. What if you and I believe that color to be orange, but the whole rest of the world knows that that color was never actually orange? It was paduba, just make up a word. And let's imagine that you were in a show, what was that called, The Truman Show or something like that, the one with Jim Carrey, where he played a guy that was living in a fake world and he always believed it to be real. And everybody was watching, he was like a, a big reality TV star without knowing it, he was like a sick joke on the guy. Let's say everybody played a sick joke on you and told you that was orange. And it was set up like a conspiracy. Now, this is a little far out there, but it's about gaining perspective here. That that color is not orange. That people make sure any book you ever read with it in there was was a doctored book. That you were, let's say you were in a small community, which was a little easier to pull off. And eventually, you left your community. You left being a star of the Truman Show, and you went out to the wide world. And you saw something, and you said to somebody, "That's orange." And they said, "That's not orange. That's blue." You say, "What the hell's wrong with you? That's orange." And the guy says, "No, that's blue. Let me show you what orange looks like." And he shows you something, and it's blue to you. And all that was done to you was they swapped those two things and convinced you that blue was orange and orange was blue. How hard would it be for you to accept that? That's my take on this history segment. And it leads us right into today's topic, which is mental sovereignty. 
Um, in fact, I called the show again, There Is No Sovereignty Without Mental Sovereignty. Today we get back into the Insurgency series. This is an Insurgency episode with more on this mental sovereignty issue. I define mental sovereignty the following way. Mental sovereignty, the ability to fully and wholly think for oneself by using logic, reason, and all available fact to form a truly independent opinion and then take useful personal action based on your opinion. Such actions may be proactive, such as doing something about it. They may also be non-reactive, such as this does not qualify for my attention. But they are never overreactive in such that I am so angry I'm going to fume about this and not get anything done while I waste this energy. Okay? Sadly, most Americans would claim they do think for themselves, but they do not. In truth, many who are so truly proud to be doing so, to think for themselves, are so caught up in the daily servings of bullshit soup that they literally can't think for themselves. Understand, my use of the word can't isn't like they won't do it. Like they could, but they won't. And it also isn't that they don't have the inherent ability. I mean it this way. You can swim. and If you can't swim, pretend you can. Let's say you're a good swimmer. And I say, if I throw you in this pool of this water that's 20 feet deep, you're going to drown. And you'd say, bull, I can swim. Now, if I take a rope and tie it around your ankle, and attached to that rope is a 2,000-pound weight, and the rope is, let's say, two feet long, and then we get a truck or a car or a forklift, and it shoves that weight into the 20-foot-deep pool, well, you're going to the bottom. And you can swim and swim and swim in strokes all you want. You can pantomime the motion of swimming. And you can be, you can be freaking, what's the guy's name that, that, that smoked dope but won all the gold medals? I can't think of his name now. Uh, they'll come to me later. But the, the Olympian, right? You can be a guy like that. You can be, I don't know why this name's coming to me, but in Australia, it's Ian Thorpe. They call him the Thorpedo, right? David Phelps. They, I just had to say another swimmer and it, it came up, right? So you could be David Phelps or Ian Thorpe. And if you are sitting there with a 2,000 pound weight, And a, and, a, and a piece of rope tied to it to your ankle, and you're six foot tall, and the rope lets you two, let's say four feet off the ground with the weight being a two foot flat thing, right? Two foot high and huge flat iron thing, and you're held to the bottom of the pool with that. No matter how well you can swim, the laws of physics and energy say you can't get up. You're not going to swim, you're going to drown. So, how do you survive if I do that? You untie or cut the rope. That's what you have to do. And until you cut the rope, it doesn't matter that you think you can swim. This burden, this baggage, this 2,000 pound, this one ton weight will hold you down while you make the motions of swimming all while drowning. Think about how that pertains to what most people think when they say, I think for myself, I think independently, I get all the facts. Do you really? I'm not saying you individually don't. If you listen to the show, we've talked about this enough that I would say the average listener to TSP that hangs with me through some of these tough things and actually carefully considers them and then puts them to practice in their life is probably far and away beyond most people out there. But as I get into the process that I use for examining issues, I'll have to admit to you that I don't always do it myself, that I let emotion get the best of me. Some people be like, duh, listen to this guy yell and scream sometimes. Well, I do that for a variety of reasons, not always because I've lost control of the process, but sometimes I have. Sometimes I hear something that's so outrageous that I myself don't give it the critical analysis it deserves before I form an opinion. Because... 
it may be the case that if what I've heard is true, I should be outraged. But often what you hear and what is ain't the same thing. And it all starts off with my first thing to tell you today. News isn't news. It's programming. Now, there's a couple ways to look at the word programming, and indeed, media executives use it all the time. And we produce programming, right? They say we're, you know, so when you put out a program, the action of putting it out is programming. But if you've spent any time in, you know, I don't know, the now, you know that programming is something you do to a computer. That there's entire, you know, jobs in the field of computer programming. And then with the right programming, we can make one computer produce a video game and another computer produce something that looks like a video game and blows people up. For real. And we can make another computer program that analyzes stock prices. And we can make another computer program that allows people to network and connect with each other. And the same computer will do all of those things based on the programming that we put into it. That is the news. And that is not just the news, it is all media. But the thing about all media is when you watch non-reality TV, unless you're a complete moron, you know it's not reality. I mean, for instance, I would tell you, I'm not even sure that Bruce Jenner really is becoming a woman. This has been the greatest thing for their ratings ever. It could be all an act. I don't really care, but that's an example. And I don't really think that I'm affected by what Bruce Jenner does. And even the people that are neophytes that watch all this stuff, that are like, I gotta see what's going on with Kim Kardashian's ass or whatever, they really know that that's not real. Or that it doesn't really affect their lives. The problem with the news and why it's more insidious than, than many of these other things is because it has the facade of reality wrapped around it and the facade that it pertains to you. That everything you hear on the news is important, carefully examined, independent theories and, and, and thoughts are examined, and then it is presented to you so that you can be more informed. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. In today's show notes, if you go look at the site, you'll see a picture Kind of a cool-looking picture. It's all blue and fiery, and it's the human brain with some ones and zeros and some circuits lit up. And I've put the caption underneath it. This is a super. This is a supercomputer. If you don't control the code, someone else does. And that's what's done with the media. The, the, the important. If you want to understand media, then you have to understand why they do what they do. And I'll tell you, it is because. Every piece of information given by the media is designed specifically to do three things. And every programming director and every executive that makes a decision is analyzing it for these three things. The first is to get ratings. Now this is obvious, but as soon as that becomes the objective, things like the headline and the angle, even when accurately reported, still tend to create biases in the perception of the person receiving them. In other words, I can write two different headlines about the same story and report the stories factually, but I'm more likely to get you to pay attention if I use a sensational headline. We see this all the time with our friends that are the captains of alternative media yellow journalism over at Natural News. Or again, outlaws permaculture, because they made a guy who lives in a federal watershed who agreed to that when he moved in there, drain a pond after 10 years of telling him drain the pond. That was criminalizing, that was actual headline, criminalizes permaculture. 
Okay, that's yellow journalism. Well, this happens every day. Now, the interesting thing was, as yellow journalistic as that article was, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. When you read the article, even though there was a whole bunch of clear opinion injected into it, the overall facts were pretty much accurately reported, but people had this visceral reaction all over the place just because of the headline, and the headline was to garner clicks. The real media does this every single day. They determine headlines that will make it more likely that you'll pay attention. And in that action, they change how you perceive the information, even when the information is factual. And it also changes how you perceive how important the information is to you as an individual. Instead of realizing, this is bullshit, I don't care, you think it matters when it doesn't. So the first one is to get ratings. And that's how that plays out. It leads to the second one. The next goal is, will this create an emotional response? Every story put into media is thought about how it will create an emotion, what will be the emotion created by this. And then we'll form the story around that emotion, from anger to fear, which are their two favorite ones, to heart-wrenching stories of personal accomplishment or triumph or sadness or whatever. We always have it go through the emotional lens. And then we form the story around the emotional lens. This means that someone's made a predetermination of how you should feel when you hear something and it works. They can actually determine that they're going to make you angry or scared or sad with information that probably doesn't affect you directly 95% of the time. Think about that. okay? And then again, remember the word programming. Think about that. And the last one is to sell an agenda. How does this fit with our overall goals? And what this often does is leads to the inclusion of stories that really aren't important because they further the agenda and the exclusion of stories that should be reported because they do not further the agenda or are counter to the agenda. You're not going to get a fair and equal treatment by mainstream media of the side effects of vaccines, for instance, because it is not keeping with their agenda to keep the sponsors that they have, which seem to be half-drug companies, happy. Now, I know you might say, well, the vaccine thing is all conspiracy. Well, maybe the cup's not orange. Maybe it's blue. Maybe you should just consider it. Now, I'm going to pause for a second since I brought up that controversial issue and tell you what I actually think about vaccines and their side effects. I think the side effects of vaccines are real. I think when they say it's a very small number of people that experience them, it's the truth. I don't think it's a vast conspiracy to take over the world. I think that it is a way to make money, and that's why they've increased the frequency of them. If they can give more, they can sell more, they can make more. It's not that big. It's billions of dollars. A billion's a thousand million. Don't give me that crap that it's not a lie. The government buys most of them and throws away what they don't use. It's a guaranteed sell. The drug companies are very interested in guaranteed money. right? I have smaller revenue streams in my business, but if they're consistent, dependable, and significant, I care about them. Don't, don't, don't think I don't. All right? So <laughs> that, that, that's a non-starter. But what about the public policymakers? And not everybody in government is just a piece of crap, uh, initially anyway. Do you think that, you know, like the, the fat cats in D.C. are like, we're going to mandate this stuff because we want to hurt people? I don't think so. This is what I think. This is the real reality I think is at play here. And 
later I'll tell you by giving you a process how you might come to the same conclusion for yourself if you really examined it. I think that they know the side effects are serious when they occur. I think they know that the, the odds are higher than they're willing to admit, but they don't care because they think the greater good is everybody doing what they're told and they don't think you're, you are mature and responsible enough to be trusted with the truth. And that if they gave you the truth, so many people might choose not to vaccinate that it would result in a greater health crisis. That's what they, I'm not saying it's true or not. I'm saying that's what they believe. So they don't care that your kid might get really damaged by a vaccine. Because they look at it this way. If I push this button, 200 people die. And if I push this button, 2 million people die. And if I have no choice but one of these two buttons, I'm going to kill 200 people at random. And I'm sorry, it's better than 2 million dying. Now, on top of it, they're exempt from all their bullshit. So if they don't want their kids to have it, they don't give it to their kids. And they say, you're irresponsible if you don't do it. So now I give you two choices. One, you push this button and two million people die. And one of them might be somebody you love like your child. And you push this one and 200 other people's children will die. So not only do you get to protect your own, but you get to justify it rationally in your head with, hey, you know, I saved 1,900,000 whatever, you know, 999,800 people by pushing the other button, and I protected my kids. makes it really easy to rationalize away lying to people. So that's what I think about that issue. That's the type of, of an opinion you might form that's neither reactionary nor exclusionary if you analyze things the way that I'm saying. So since the agenda is to not let you think that way when it comes to vaccines, the stories that you see will be largely weighted toward pro-vaccine, because it meets the agenda, and when they're forced to report on the negative consequences, you will hear every third sentence, extremely rare, highly unlikely, etc., to foster the image of a counter view, but maintain the agenda. So when we put that all together, we're talking about ratings, emotional reactions, and agendas going forward, okay, and not doing anything counter to the agenda. This is all done with every piece of news that you listen to or hear Anywhere except in alternative media, and there it might be worse, depending on the source. Because most alternative media does these things even at a higher level. Alex Jones, okay? Got it? Now, some of you like Alex and say he brings relevant information. The sources of news, whether alternative or mainstream, bring you 90% fact. It's how they're sorted, arranged, and the conclusions they're placed together, and the 10% lie is dangerous. Let me give you another one, that you, an example of this. Um, Nazi Germany was evil. They killed a lot of people. And they saw it as their duty to exterminate lesser beings. This started with a, pro, a process called eugenics. And with eugenics... What it started out with is people that were mentally deficient or criminally insane or incapable of taking care of themselves were targeted not initially to be killed, but simply to be sterilized so that the state would not have the burden of taking care of more of them next. They should not be reproducing. This was a process, again, known as eugenics. The Nazis were pioneers in eugenics, and they were the first country ever in history to legally, through their legal system, however immoral it was, to legally pass laws that allowed them to force sterilizations on people. Sounds like the truth, right? Well, see, the problem is that everything I just told you is true except the last thing. 
Nazi Germany was not the first country to use the legal system to force eugenics into society and actually carry through on the threat to sterilize someone because they were seen as unworthy of reproducing. The truth is, the United States was. Now that changes a lot of things. And if you don't believe that, I'm not going to back it up with facts. Go research it for yourself. Always verify. Never trust, always verify. I've rewritten that parable. Okay. If you don't trust that, go research it for yourself. You will find that it's true. You will find the United States was a pioneer in eugenics, and the German government actually complimented our government on having the stones to actually do it when we did. And we actually, not millions, but significant numbers of people in this country, because to me one would be significant, were forcibly sterilized under a eugenics policy in the United States before the Nazis ever did it to anybody. Now, I gave you a story that was 90% factual. All the bad shit I said about Nazi Germany was true. The very fact that this eugenics was the genesis of it, this concept of this is where it started, and then, well, well, some people really would just be better off dead, and then, well, if we really want to say, like, this was the root of everything that went on. This is how it was done. It was done by doctors more than soldiers. The soldiers enforced it. The doctors did it. The doctors came up with the way to get rid of a hundred thousand people at a time. Okay? How to man this was all done by medical professionals. All that's true. But who did it first? Doesn't that change things a little bit? So you understand that most media outlets are going to give you ninety percent or more truth. It's the arrangement and the one or two percent that's wrong that changes everything. Or the omission of information. Imagine I didn't give you the final false lie. That's actually worse. If I give you all the claims, like Germany did it first, you can check that out. It would key in your head. Maybe I, maybe I should check this out. But if I just leave that out, you might just assume it. So by omitting who did it first, I can actually be more nefarious. So now I've given you no false information, but I've given you a false conclusion because I intended to do so for the purpose of ratings and emotional reaction and to promote my agenda. We never do bad things. They do. Okay? Now, again, you don't have to share any of my opinions. I'm giving you real-world context of how this stuff has played out over time. Okay? Um, and then the next thing I want to tell you is this. 90% of media is owned by six corporations. I'm going to tell you who they are. Before I do... I'm going to play something for you from the Conan O'Brien show, which is no longer... Actually, I think this was the late-night show with Conan O'Brien before he got his own thing because he didn't work out there. I wonder why. He used to do this. I've played versions of this before. This particular one is like his final farewell middle finger to the mainstream media, even though he's still in mainstream media. Um, and it does involve a very hot topic, political issue, same-sex marriage. It's not about that. If that's a hot-button emotional issue for you, I'm going to ask you to do what I've asked you to do several times in recent shows. Take the emotion and put it on the shelf. Listen to what happens and the way this is reported. Some of you have heard Conan do things like this before, so you know what's coming. Some of you don't. Listen and really take this all in for the, the, the reality of what it means. Because you laugh. But in the end, it ain't funny. We've made a little bit of news this week. I don't know if you've heard about this, but I'll tell you why. It's because on our 
uh, last New York show, which is tomorrow night. We're going to perform a wedding right here on this stage. Now, I'm not talking about a comedy bit. I'm talking about a real, legally binding, same-sex marriage between our show's costume designer, Scott Cronick, and his partner, David Gorshine. Now, this is going to Same-sex marriage isn't allowed in California, so Scott and David were going to get married during our week in New York. And I thought instead of them getting married at City Hall, why not get married right here on the stage of the Beacon and do it right? Now, this, this will be the first, I believe, same-sex wedding ever performed on late-night television. And we're all very excited about it. Best of all, I am going to officiate the wedding myself. Now, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm using that for everything now, yeah. Well, anyway, we announced this. News stations around the country have picked up on this story, and each one is putting its own unique spin on it. Talk show host Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late-night television. Conan O'Brien may be able to push the envelope on late-night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late-night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late-night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on his late-night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late-night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late-night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late night TV. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope once again on late night TV. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late night television. Conan O'Brien is looking to push the envelope on late night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late night TV. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late night television. Conan O'Brien may be about to push the envelope on late night television. Brian may be about to push the envelope on late night television. Carl Brian may be preparing to push the late night envelope. Now I want to submit to you something here. The, the the only minor variations that we heard, like a word being a little bit different here and there, you could tell that the newscaster was reading a script and just didn't get it quite right and accidentally did it. Like the script was this exactly the same for everybody. Conan O'Brien is about to push the envelope on late night television. Now, a lot of times when I play audio from a video, I'll say you should go watch the video because there's certain things that are visual and more impactful in a video, and I do the best I I can to select videos to, to strip audio from for inclusion on an audio show that can stand alone, and this one certainly does, but this is more impactful if you watch it, not because of the facial reactions of the newscasters, but because you see the news logos and you realize that these are competitors, like Fox News, CBS, one owned by CBS and the other one owned by News Corp. These are direct competitors giving the exact same, not story, but script. This is not funny. This is not funny because it drives home that everything I'm telling you here is at least plausibly true, that it is all programmed. But let me tell you, who owns 90% of the media outlets that people get their news and information and entertainment from? General Electric, 
Did you know that? News Corp, Disney, Viacom, Time Warner, and CBS. Notice this distinctive lack of NBC, ABC. Yeah, they've been gobbled up into the conglomerates. Even them. Yeah. Um, you can find out more about this in an infographic that I'll link to. Um, that's pretty interesting. And we're not going to go through every little piece of this, but I did want to point out something else. There are 232 top media executives that control those six corporations, and that also includes kind of the, the sub-networks underneath them. So there's this hierarchy in this, this pyramidal structure that exists in a corporate entity. It's made up of 232 media executives that really have final say and control over what does and does not go on the networks. 232 people. About 277 million Americans are consuming this information every day. That means one media executive has control over about 850,000 people. To put this in perspective for you, the Congress is not just the House. It's the House and the Senate. And the combined seats between the two are 535. You have 535 members of Congress that pass laws, but only 232 media executives that control the information that you're consuming and forming your opinions on as it pertains to everything, including what Congress does or does not do. <laughs> Programming. It's not a coincidence that the two words are the same. Because they literally mean the same thing. Programming isn't the act of putting out information. It's the act of installing, controlling, and formatting information to get a given result. That's exactly what this stuff is. So for you to be able to think clearly, and it's why I spent you know half the show just on dissecting the media for you, you have to just immediately determine that I cannot trust this. I cannot trust this. Even when it's true, I still can't trust how it's presented. I can't trust that I, I should give a shit. Just because even if it's true, even if it's pre presented fairly, I still can't trust it because maybe it doesn't apply to me. Maybe there's not a damn thing I can do about it, and the only lie is that it's important that I care. You just don't know. Because you can't trust 237 people, six companies, that control 90% of the information that you're given. No logical person would say, yeah, sure I can. Like, these are all great guys. None of these people are pushing an agenda. Oh, and they're all against it. Well, at least, you know, Fox has this agenda, uh, and CBS has a liberal agenda. Really? Really? When they have the same script for all their affiliates all over the country? Really? Or do you just believe that? How about this? Saudi royal family has a significant ownership in dun-dun-dun News Corp. Huh? That can't be true. Again, don't trust, verify. Go ahead. Go verify that for yourself. If you doubt Jack, please doubt me. Please go verify that. And please, if something's changed, like the prince or whatever sold his shares in News Corp, then, then you tell me so that I know to. The last time I checked, significant stake in News Corp was controlled by the Saudi royal family. These are the people that have women beaten for being so audacious as to be raped. These are people that behead people for being gay. Just say, I'm dropping these little pieces on you. And again, don't trust, verify. You want to say I'm wrong? Prove it. 
prove it because I've researched these things and I've determined that they are important for me to know, not because I can really do something about them, because what I can do is understand I cannot trust any of these people giving me this information at all ever, including whether or not I should even be paying attention, whether or not it's a question I should even care about. So in summary, the news is rigged and to pseudo quote Ronald Reagan and the Russian parable, don't trust and always verify. So if we're going to independently think, we have to have two pieces to this. One is to be able to, to cut the rope. And the other is a process to do it. So let's talk about cutting the rope first. I think it's very important for us to reboot often, just like because we are a supercomputer. That's exactly what we are. And if you run a computer long enough, uh, using enough tasks and memory up, and you know, there's two types of memory. There's there's a random access memory and there's a long-term memory. And that's very similar to how the human, think about that, that's, it's, it's almost eerie how similar that is to the human brain. We have like this ongoing memory of where did I put my keys five seconds ago? And it's a different than the memory of my first memory of, let's say, uh, seeing a microwave oven. I remember very clearly the first time I saw a microwave oven. I remember I saw the result before the microwave. I was a little kid. I went to a diner that my grandmother worked at. She said, do you want a piece of apple pie? I said, yeah. She goes, you want to heat it up? I'm like, well, how long will it take? She said, not long. And 40 seconds later, after pulling it out of that little round thing they had in the old diners where it was kept cold, like ice cold in there, she came back and it was steaming hot. I couldn't believe it. I didn't understand she told me it's called a microwave. That's a different type of memory. That's your hard drive, right? And it takes time to move information from the temporary memory, the RAM, to the hard drive, the long-term memory. This is why people with things like Alzheimer's disease might be able to tell you very clearly what happened 220 years ago, but can't tell you what happened 20 seconds ago. That's exactly why. Because that process is broken. So just like a computer that will get basically to a point where it needs a system reboot. It needs to purge things. Either, either you need to get it out of temporary, get into permanent or not. And I know Macs are better about this and don't need to be rebooted, blah, 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 blah. Okay, whatever. Stick with the analogy here. Call it a PC. Running Windows. It's got to reboot once in a while. It has to. And everything gets better after a reboot. This is how the human brain works. If you're constantly bombarding it with all of this short-term information and only so much of it's going to the hard drive and you never reboot the system, everything becomes confused and you go back to another computer analogy, garbage in, garbage out. They give you garbage and you accept it because you just can't process it any longer. So how do we reboot? One way is information fasting. I think that sometimes you should just not pay attention to shit for like a week. Don't worry. If something really important happens, someone will tell you. I mean, you could just leave your weather app on your phone and not look at Facebook or news or Twitter or whatever so that if there's a weather event, you know, you get a warning. So that would be immediate. Just about anything else, you know, you're, someone will tell you. You know, I remember reading a book about doing this. I don't remember who wrote it or what the book was, but the guy basically said that they were on a cruise ship in the middle of, you know, like the Caribbean with nobody watching a TV or listening to a radio because everybody's on vacation. 
eating lobster, drinking champagne, and swimming in the pool, and taking day trips to the shore and various ports of call. Princess Diana died. Everybody knew within like 10 minutes. Somebody told them. So if anything really, and that wasn't even important, by the way. He was just making a point. If something really important happens, you'll know. Just take a week off. Me too. Not me too, do it too, but take a week off. Maybe next week when I'm not here, don't listen to me. I'm not here anyway. Don't listen to re uh, Rewind. Just don't listen to anything. Reboot your system. But definitely shut off the news, shut off the networks, shut off Facebook. Just take a break from it all. I'm going to next week. When I'm in West Virginia, I'm going to clean out emails. I'm going to take anything that requires a detailed response and stick it in a folder. I'm going to take everything else and delete it. And that is the only interaction I'm going to have with anything to do with this at all. I'm going to go up there and look at plants growing and, and, and cattle and talk to people. And I'm not. And if somebody starts saying, did you hear? I'm going to go, I don't care right now. I don't care. Let's worry about what we're doing here. Reboot. So that's a convenient one for me, but we do this at times. Next month, I'm going to be gone for another week. I'm taking my wife to Sanibel Island, Florida. I'm going to fish. I'm going to sit on the beach. I'm going to even do less email then. I'm going on a real vacation. I'm going to reboot. But you can have little reboots. Think about this. Your, your, your computer gets kind of slow. You need to st still keep working today. You, you reboot it in a couple minutes. So you can take, you should always take short reboots every day as well. But information fast. Do it for a day. Pick a day of the week that you don't pay attention to the news. Sunday is a great day. Sunday is a great day. It's supposed to be a day of rest anyway, right? So just on Sundays, just don't pay attention to shit. At all. Period. Don't worry about it. If somebody tries to tell you about it, say, I'm sorry, I, this is my day off of information like that. They'll look at you really weird. Just don't, maybe you should try it too. Have a cup of tea or a beer, right? Whatever does it for you. Take a day off. Take a day off once a month. You know, say the, 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 the 31st or the 30th, the last day of the month, I'm just not paying attention. Twice a month, something. Another thing I think that would help everybody, everybody, take a walk every day. It doesn't have to be in a park or a permaculture paradise or up a mountain. Just take a freaking walk. Walk around your neighborhood. Uh, if it's really, really bad weather in any you know extreme... Go to a mall and don't look at the stores. Observe the people and walk around. Go to a store like a Home Depot and just walk through. I, I, do, I used to do this all the time when I had a job. You know, I'd go eat lunch alone to get the hell away from everybody. And I might decide, you know what I'm going to do today? It's, it's hot out. If I walk in my you know office attire, I'm going to go back stinking. So I'm going to go to Home Depot. And I would just walk around Home Depot and go, look at one, just pick something off the shelf and go, what could I do with that? The mind is now engaged in something totally unrelated to all the bullshit you deal with every day. And you think of your own ways to do this, but take a walk. And sometimes during your walk, control your breathing. Take control of your breathing. In and out, to a timing, to a cadence, to a number, to a count, or in and hold for a certain amount of seconds and exhale. It doesn't even matter. There's a lot of different techniques. There's things like taking the tip of your tongue while you're breathing and putting it up to the palate on the inside of your teeth on the upper palate while you're breathing, and, and that's, that's, that's an actual meditative technique. But it doesn't really matter how you do it. You don't even have to maybe focus on your breathing. It's just a good thing to do. Focus on your steps. Count your steps. Count to ten and, and, and use a finger, to, to like, a, like, a, like a pacing beat, and say, okay, that was ten. 
then count to ten again, another finger, and another finger, another finger, and then realize, okay, that was 50. And then do it again with the other hand, and now that's 100. Why? Why would you do that? Well, again, the mind gets occupied on something that actually pulls it out of the bullshit soup. But the other thing it does is it actually causes you to take control of your body and your mind for a period of time, even a brief one. Most people don't do this at all anymore. Playing a video game is not taking control of your mind. It's letting something else control your mind. This is completely on you. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you have to become a monk. Like we had Galen on the other day. He's a, 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 a monk, a Hindu monk, I think is what it is. And, you know, a Parishna monk. Um, if I got it wrong, don't, don't slay me for it. I don't remember. Um, but just taking some control for 20 seconds sometimes is all it takes to cause the mind to reboot. I think we also need to really start to enjoy and appreciate things. Contemplate flavors or colors or anything. When you take a walk, if you do take a walk in a park or something, just stop and look at a tree. Just pick a tree. And look at that tree and think to yourself, where is that tree really strikingly beautiful? Where is there a disease on it? Where is there an interesting shape? And just take it in and, it, and just appreciate it for what it is. Then, again, this takes the mind out of this constantly agitated state. And it starts to separate you from the things that don't matter and connect you to the things that do. Flavors, you know, don't just chug six Budweiser's. Go get a good beer and sit down with it and taste it and say, I think I know what kind of hops they used in this. If you don't drink beer, do that with a glass of tea. Make that mint tea I gave you yesterday. And search for the flavors and say, there's the lemon balm, there's the there's the, the, the bee balm, and there's the peppermint. The peppermint's obvious. The other two are not so much. There's the sugar. Taste it with and without the sugar. Compare. See how you not just have a little bit of sweetness in there, but how you can actually find the flavors easier because of the sugar. Do that with your food. With taste it salted and unsalted. And don't just taste the salt. Taste the differences, the nuances. These things are not like, this is not change your life again into monkdom, right? This is not every day all the time. This is just a little pause here and there. Sit when it's the when the weather's nice. Sit on your porch, feel the breeze, and think about where do I feel it harder and where do I feel it less. Take a walk, and when you enter the shade and it feels better and it feels cool, where does it feel cool first? All these little techniques, and come up with your own. Right? Don't do this shit because I say so. Do it because it works for you. Whatever it is, but contemplate flavors, colors, something, anything. Look at a cloud. What could it be? Remember when you were a kid and that was like really interesting to sit on the ground and just look up at the sky and look at the different clouds and what can I see? How long has it been since you did that? Those things are actually more important to you than 90% of what's going to be on your TV tonight. Because they connect you with yourself and damn that's important. Okay? I would also say eat well. Love yourself. Love your family. Love your friends. You know? Just be joyful. Create meals that are for you and your family or you and your friends. Those of you that live a more solitary lifestyle, find some friends. God, that's so important that you find some people that you can commune with and talk to. That doesn't mean they have to spend a lot of time at your house. 
But find activities where you get involved with other people and, and experience what it is to have human bonding. There's a couple people I know in this audience that I know are very solitary individuals. Guys, I want you guys to find more people to spend time with. I really do. Because I know what it'll do for you. It'll make life more fulfilling. Especially those of us who don't have children or don't have a lot of close family. Man, I have to tell you, I'm not close to my family. I'm really not. And if it wasn't for Dorothy and Matthew and the extended family there, I, I would be in very much the same situation as, as these, these folks that I'm thinking about. And I'm glad I'm not. But if I were, knowing what I know now, I would make an effort to get involved in a dart league or a bowling league or anything. I don't care what. You know, start volunteering somewhere. I'd probably volunteer at like this local park down here uh, just to basically be a docent or something like that. Interact with people. Get to know people. It's, it's important. Um, especially those of you that think, well, eventually I'm not going to work anymore. Well, then that was your one connection. Eat well, though. And I don't just mean eat nutritionally. Like, enjoy your food. This is why even though I'm, I, I, I'm pretty heavy on this paleo thing, you'll hear me once in a while talk about something like, that's not paleo. I don't give a damn. Right? You know, we went to uh, uh, Texas Roadhouse the other day. I know that beef is from a CAFO. I'd prefer that it wasn't. But my family wanted to go, and the hell with it. I ate a big old hunk of prime rib, and they brought me those crappy rolls, but they taste good. And I decided I'm going to have one, and I put the cinnamon butter crap on it. That's not real butter. And then I actually slowly ate it and said, man, at least since I, you know, maybe this wasn't good for me, but at least I enjoyed it. Instead of hogging four of them down and going, I wish I didn't do that. You have to start bringing these things into your life or you, you, you cannot think clearly. You're still tied to the 2,000 pound piece of steel and realize what really matters. The biggest way to realize what doesn't matter is to start out by realizing what does. It's kind of the opposite of figuring out what you want. Like, so the most, like when people say to me, I can't figure out what I want in my life, well, let's start making a list of all the shit you don't want, right? And when you start making a list of all you don't want, the antonyms to them turn about to be all the things that you do want, and then we find a way to get those things. This is basic lifestyle design. For some reason, it works a little bit differently when it comes to what matters. To realize what does matter, you, it doesn't matter, you have to figure out first what does. Right? And I guess you could make the same list. Should I say this doesn't matter and that doesn't matter? But the, 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 the shortcut is to start realizing, like, these things that I do matter. And all of a sudden, all the things you thought were important that aren't are just obvious to the point where, and this is the frustration. This is I'm going to give you a, a warning right now. Many of you have experienced parts of this already. Many of you that are new to the show, you're going to experience them. You're going to get frustrated with people around you. You're going to start to realize how entrenched and how entranced these people are, how mindless. You're going to be looking around going, there are zombies everywhere in society. You'll be saying, I see the Fenords. Look that up if you don't know where that's from. Fenords. You figure out how to spell it. Go on a little research quest there and find out what the Fenords are. Find out where the origin of the term is. You're going to see the Fenords. And no one else does. And you're going to be screaming, I see the Fenords, I see the Fenords. And you wonder why no one else can. That's what happens when you start to realize what matters. All of a sudden, the pattern recognition I talk about all the time kicks in. And, you know, there's a story, you go, bullshit. A story, bullshit. Somebody's irate about this, you go, bullshit. I don't care. I don't give a damn. None of that matters to me. 
And then you're going, why do you think this matters to you? And the person goes, I don't know what's wrong with you. Why do you think it doesn't? Because it doesn't. You're nuts. You're going to experience this. Be ready for it. Let it go. You know what else doesn't matter? The fact that they don't understand your happiness. That doesn't matter either. And as far as getting them to have the happiness you have, okay, circle of influence, circle of concern. You do influence that person, but if you push too hard, you will further entrench them and you will move them out into what you're concerned about versus what you influence. Very, very simple to understand, but life-altering paradigm right there. Okay, All of us have these spheres around us, these invisible spheres, the things that we can actually do something about and the things that bother us but we can't really affect. This is from Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Only part of the book I even know. Because I opened the book, saw that picture, put it back on the shelf, and didn't buy it. Really. True story. Anyway, when you have someone that is in your circle of influence, but they're not ready for what you're bringing them, and you push too hard, you literally push them into the other circle. Then they become something you're obsessed about, you're concerned about, but you lose your influence. We do our greatest influencing through demonstrating, not talking. By showing, not telling. Right? So if you're happy all the time and your life's going well and you're designing your shit right and you're building a future for yourself, eventually people that look at you start to say, how the hell does this always work out for you? Now you've given you permission to start explaining it. So be ready for that. But when you realize what matters, it will be like, I want you to think of it like when you get your ears plugged on an airplane or from elevation of one kind or another from being sick. And all sound is muted, but you you don't realize it. Like sometimes it's really obvious, and you yawn or you know you 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 blow your nose, but you hold it tight and it pops your ears open. Um, but a lot of times you walk around for a day like that, and you don't know. You don't know that you're talking louder than you should, because you're basically partially deaf. You have a, a minor hearing impediment because of this this thing. Right, and you're not hearing as much, and everything's not as clear, and but everything sounds normal to you. You understand? You don't realize that everything's a little bit quieter, so everything sounds at a normal volume. And then somebody might say something to you like, "Dude, why are you yelling?" And you're like, "I'm not yelling." You're like, "Dude, you're talking really loud." And if you've experienced this before, you might go, "Oh, I wonder." And you give the little, you know, you blow your ears out, yawn, and all of a sudden. It pops and you realize, holy crap, I have been yelling. But what also happens? All the sounds around you, it's like somebody just cranked the volume up. It's like starting an engine. It's like... And you're like, wow. And all of a sudden you can hear things you never heard before. This is what happens to your intellectual sight when you figure out what matters. All of a sudden you can see everything for what it really is. And that will frustrate you because you'll realize how many people don't. And you have to remember, before you did it, you were there too. And it's very common for people that get out of the matrix, so to speak, at least to a degree, to want to go back in and pull others out. That's part of the movie, guys. Okay. But what else did we learn from the movie, the analogy there? Not everybody's ready. And some people will kill you for trying to pull them out because they like it in there. Even if they wouldn't like it if they knew the truth, they're not ready for the truth. You have to accept that, and you do that as you find out what really matters. You also have to stop letting other people tell you what your questions and concerns are. 
That is the greatest sin of modern media to me. It is not so much the angle, uh, the the omissions, the outright lies, the propaganda, the agenda, the yellow journalism in the name of ratings, the emotional uh, charging that's put into it. It is literally telling you what's important. Because they've marketed themselves so effectively of being these guardians of information, these people that you can trust, bringing you the important hard facts of the day, etc., ad nauseum, what they've actually convinced you of is if they're saying it, you need to know it. You don't. 90% of the time. The world will not change because you did not hear the 5 o'clock news or you didn't get on your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed or whatever and see what everybody else has thrown because they're not throwing you generally alternatives they're throwing you you know 80% of what i see on facebook is from one of those six corporations outlets it's a report on one of their websites so a big part of this reboot and this clearing so that you can do the exercise with issues that i'm about to give you is to say to yourself i will always determine for myself what I need to know and what I want to know and what's important to me and what isn't. And if I start to hear information that I think I don't really care, I'm just not going to listen. Oh, that's closed-minded. No, it's very open-minded. It's very open-minded. Because it's a belief that you're actually powerful enough to determine for yourself what's important to you. We're on the way to mental sovereignty. And if you don't have that, you don't have mental sovereignty. That means that you're willing to accept the programming whenever the programmer starts keying it up. Right? You have to start thinking about it that way. Every time Fox News, CBS, MSNBC, etc. puts out any piece of information, there's a guy with a keyboard jacked into your brain, just like the Matrix, okay, typing away, and saying, these are the things that are important to you. These are the opinions that you have. These are the emotional responses that are appropriate in this situation. You have to say, I don't want that. I will program my own computer. I will choose my inputs. I will choose my processes. And I will choose the debugging that I do to get my computer running optimally. I won't rely on someone else to do it for me. Again, your brain is a supercomputer. That's what it is. It is the most advanced computer that we know of. There are plenty of mechanical computers that can do things faster, but they can't do what we can do. They can't actually make decisions for themselves. We can program them with decision-making capabilities, but we still have the limits and confinements of those decisions. Now, will we ever bridge that gap with artificial intelligence? Probably. I don't know. We'll see. But no computer, the most advanced computer in the world that exists today, can decide I either do or do not want to go take a dump right now. Think about that. It can't decide that. Well, it doesn't have that bodily function. I don't care. It can't determine do I, do I or do I not want to do anything. Want is the optimum word. It's actually threw that at you so that you would, it's like a curveball, screwball I threw. Right? So you'd focus on the in, unimportant part of it. It's the want. It can't ask why. That's the most powerful part of your brain, that you can ask why. That's what separates us from every other living being that we know of. 
that we can ask why. That when something doesn't work, instead of just saying it doesn't work, we can say, how could it work? You can teach a monkey to stack a block a certain way. And he'll learn to do it. And every time you want it done, he'll do it, and you give him a peanut or whatever. You can teach a child to do the same thing. Give him a gummy bear. And then you can play a trick on him. You can alter the block with a bevel so that the block will not stand. Give it to the monkey, smartest monkey you can find, and that monkey will eventually just give up, stack the block a different way, see if he gets his peanut. If he doesn't get his peanut, he'll say, this doesn't work anymore, and he'll leave. The child will start trying to figure out why it doesn't work. They'll examine it. They'll look for, why doesn't this do what it did yesterday? And sometimes they might even think, you know what? If I stuck, oh, I see. If I wedge something under there, it'll stand up. Give me my gummy bear. Little kid will figure that out. Monkey can't. When you let somebody else tell you what's important to you and take charge of the programming, you're giving up the very thing that makes your mind the most powerful computer in the world, and you're putting that power in somebody else's hands. Do you get that? That's exactly what you're doing. So how do we get out of this? What is the process? Now, I'm going to outline what might sound like a long, laborious process, but there's a key point in it. You know, just like we have a key point in, in, in hydrological designs, there are key points in processes that because those key points are in there, the process can be accelerated. And when there's a pattern recognition, as long as we avoid perception bias due to the pattern recognition, we can accelerate the process very, very quickly. So sometimes this process on a really important issue, at least to you in your heart, might take a long time, but also sometimes this process can be done in 60 seconds or less, depending on how much information you already have, how many times you've seen this game before. Okay? Right. So when you are analyzing an issue or a story or a concern or something that's on your heart or your mind, the first thing is to immediately start by just taking the issue and setting it aside for a minute. Just say, I'm not going to forget what I'm going to analyze. I'm just going to let go of what the issue is. And I'm going to first prepare myself. This is the one I struggle with the most because I'm an emotional, passionate man. But you remove your emotional and psychological baggage and anything that you have that is a feeling about the issue that you're going to examine. And it's important that you remove the emotional baggage, the psychological baggage, and the feelings in totality, which we all have baggage that we carry with us. We've all been through good and bad things in our lives. We've all been previously conditioned to believe certain things or not believe certain things. Just take a moment and say, I'm not going to get upset about this, at least until I'm done analyzing it. Then if, I, then if being upset's warranted, I'm going to give myself permission to be pissed off. But I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be a Vulcan during this process for as long as it takes to get to where I need to get to. Okay? And I'm going to, whenever I find this thing creeping up that says, see, it's just exactly the way you thought it was, I'm just going to push that aside. Because if it is, I don't need that to make that determination. Right? So I'm going to clear first. The next two step, step two, is I'm going to say, okay, now that I'm clear, now that my initial, oh, I'm, going, I'm going to kick somebody's ass over this, is placated, and I'm all chilled out out, I've taken a couple deep breaths. Maybe I went and took that walk that I was supposed to take every day before I examined this issue. I've let go of it. I've rebooted the computer. I'm going to now ask a question, and I'm going to say, does this really affect me? 
and I'm going to make myself be honest. If I catch myself wanting to say yes, because I still am carrying the emotion, I'm going to separate myself from that yes, and I'm going to say, again, self, does this really affect me in some way that impedes my progress, impedes my happiness, costs me money? Is there a concrete, definable way that this affects me? Or at least that sooner or later it will affect me. If they do this here, then the next town over, my town might be next. That This is something that's actually going to impact my life. If the answer is no, okay, we move on to step three. If two is no, ask, do I really care to know more? And I'm going to proceed with caution if so. And if the answer is yes, I'm going to proceed with the rest of the process with caution anyway. Step three is my caution step. I'm going to caution myself. Okay, it either does or does not affect me. But either way, I want to examine this further. So I'm going to take a step and remind myself of why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm going through this process. And I'm going to be careful as I move forward. Let's talk about how something might not affect me personally, but I still might care to move forward. If it's a cause that I believe in, And there's something that I might be able to do. Let's say a local farmer, to you, not me, is being attacked because he raises pigs the way that stupid people think is wrong. And that person has a legal defense fund. I might examine this issue further because once sooner or later this could affect me. And drawing a line and fighting when we can is important. And there might be something I can actually do. But if I just sit around walking around all day pissed off about it, all I've done is rob my own energy. There's nothing I could do. I'm being emotionally reactive, right? I'm being emotionally overreactive to a situation that's outside of my influence circle. And therefore, what is in my influence circle suffers. And again, I may push people out of it that will otherwise be in it. So I'm going to take that cautionary step. I'm going to make the determination. Even if it doesn't directly affect me, it still might want to know. But I want to know why I want to know at that point. I want to justify the exercise to myself at that point. And that will give me the ability to look at the yellow light and say, proceed, but do so with caution. You don't know what's around the next corner. Be prepared for anything, including realizing I really didn't want to go here. You can leave this at any point. You can determine during this process, you know what, I really don't give an F about this anymore and let go of it. Many times when you initiate this process, that will be the result. Okay? Step four, then you do what I talked to you about doing yesterday. Take the issue in an alternative context using substitution. Examine everything as being the same, but change a piece of it. You know, what if this wasn't about X, it was actually issue Y? How would I feel about it then? And do an antonym issue. So if it was gun rights, which you're very pro, put something in there that you're very negative on to examine the issue, just as an example. Don't be afraid of that. For God's sakes, don't be afraid. So people are afraid of this process because they think that, that it might change their mind into something that they don't want it to be changed into. <laughs> that's, that's a virus. That's the virus the programmer put in there to keep the computer from waking up and, and running its own shit. Don't be afraid of your answers. If you have principled beliefs... The underlying principle beliefs won't change, but how you're going to react to reality will change. Okay, 
So use the substitution in context. Remember yesterday we talked about the fracking ban on banning fracking, right? So Denton, Texas, Mansfield, Texas banned fracking at the local level. And the state stepped in and said, you can't do that. You can't ban fracking. And I said, let's examine the context of whether or not it makes constitutional muster by saying, what if it was people that wanted to have gardens and the city said you can't have a garden and the state stepped in and passed a law that gave people a right to garden on their own property? You might be for it then. That doesn't mean that you're wrong either side of the issue, but now we have a new context to examine the issue through, a new lens. We now know more about ourselves. We've now put a check on the emotions that are still there. See, we cleared the emotions in the beginning, but we're humans. There's going to be emotions. We can never truly become a Vulcan. It's a made-up character on TV. It's not real. We can't ever be that cold and calculating. So we're going to always check the emotion, and that's another way in step four to take the alternative context. That just strips emotion from it. Or it injects an emotion in the exact opposite. So now we have an emotion for and against the same thing. It creates a conflict. And then we're forced to resolve the conflict. Okay, Or we're at least forced to say, hey, even if I don't agree, I now have an understanding of why the other people view things the way that they do. So after that, in step five, now we're going to use logic to analyze this issue based on all of our past knowledge and experience. We're going to go to ourselves first. You notice I haven't gotten to gathering information yet? I've now, you see, I've said, listen, I am an adult. I have walked around this planet for 40 odd years, 30 odd years, 20 odd years, however old you are. I have a lot of information that's already in here. I have a lot of knowledge. I have a lot of rational components to myself. I'm going through a process. I'm leading myself instead of being led. I should check with myself before I phone a friend, so to speak. Okay? So I'm going to say now, now that I've removed my emotional psychological baggage, I've asked if this affects me. I've given an honest answer to that. I've made a determination to proceed based on yes, it does, or no, it doesn't, but I care anyway enough to, to evolve it further. I've done that. I've given myself a caution. I've taken the issue into an alternative context with substitution. What if it was X instead of Y? Would I feel the same way that I think I do now? And now I'm going to take all that process and say to myself, self? What, what, what? He, that sound was Charlie having a bad dream. What? I guess I'm boring the dog. Hopefully I'm not boring you. Um, so, self, based on all the information you have and the process thus far, what is your opinion now? You'll probably find that even if you have a similar opinion, it's changed some. Because now you're thinking for yourself. So we're just going to get, like, it's a, another pause point. Like, what do I think now? Huh, that's interesting. I have, Now I am in the, the proper mindset to gather information because now the filter's up. Okay? Now it's, I was going to make, as I start doing research, bullshit, bullshit, that's interesting. Let me put that over here. That's interesting that we're here. And, and I'll probably come up with uh, enough information that I'll be able to determine whether or not I'm being honest with myself at this point again. Okay? I'm supposed to be gathering information from all sides. As I'm using my bullshit filter, I'm probably going to find that my perception bias is, is, is still there, and it's starting to pull in information that's all weighted in one direction. 
So as I pulled out that information, I need to say to myself, okay, let me, let's stop now. I've gathered three or four uh, pieces of information that are leading me to a certain conclusion. Which direction are they leading me to? They're leading me in direction X. Okay, I'm going to purposefully go find some information that leads me to conclusion Y, the opposite conclusion. And I'm going to force myself to look at it, even if it doesn't jive with what I want it to be. Then I'm going to analyze that. After I've analyzed those two separate pieces of information, I'm going to ask myself what my opinion is now. I'm going to ask myself, well, what's your opinion now on this? At that point, I'm going to have a completely independent opinion that may or may not be complete yet, but it is independent. You haven't told me what to think. You haven't even told me that it's important. You haven't even told me that I'm supposed to examine this. I've made this determination for myself. My opinion is actually, truly, at this point, independent and unique to myself. Even if we share a common view, I've formed mine through my own ethos. You formed yours either through your own ethos or because the TV told you so. I don't know, because I didn't do it. You did So even if it would sound like the same opinion, they're drastically different in how we're going to now use them in our lives. However, step seven, if you're not sure yet, now you're like, I don't really know. Repeat steps one through six if needed. And do it as many times as you need to. Sometimes, if you're sure, just do it again. You can do it much faster the second time through. Just to confirm, do I really believe what I think I believe? And I'm going to continue this process until I decide that I'm ready for the eighth step. I'm going to continue to recycle it until I go, you know what, I've done this enough. I know what I think now. So what's step eight? I'm going to explain my opinion to myself and see if I believe it. <laughs> and I'm going to use one of my alternate contexts when I do. I can do this out loud in front of a mirror, or I can do this in my head at my desk, or I can do it in 15 seconds while you're standing there trying to tell me I'm wrong. Depends on how well I work out my brain and how well I develop this process as intrinsic to my being. Like I said, this seems long and laborious, but once you master it, it can be quick and efficient. Because I'm going to go to myself first. And every time I form an opinion this way, I get new information that I can use for the next time I'm faced with it. And I start needing less and less to get other people's information about something, unless it actually is a genuinely new thing. Okay? So... Explain it to myself in alternate context. Do your own little mini podcast to yourself. Say, Jack, I want you to listen to me. I formed an opinion on this based on this. And I would like you to consider that if instead of X, it was Y, and it was put into this context, that maybe your opinion would change. And based on all of that, I've decided that this is or isn't true, or this is or isn't important, or this is or isn't whatever. And as a result, this is the things that I think I should do about it. Just test yourself. Don't be afraid. And if you think to yourself, after you hear yourself, self, you're full of shit, you definitely are probably full of shit. And if you think to sell yourself, self, that sounds damn right. It might be. It probably is for you at this point in your life, and it's probably good that you proceed with it based on that information. Well, what if I'm wrong? You're far more right for yourself than you would have been had you not done this. Well, We're all imperfect beings. We're all doing our best. You've really tried at this point. It's probably safe to proceed. At least you're not going to do something stupid. All right? So 
after we explain our opinion to yourself, now we're going to form the opinion. Now we're actually going to say, this is what I believe. I know why I believe what I believe. And I'm going to determine what action I should take. I am going to back this guy's legal fight because I think he's right. I think the state is wrong. And I think that if I put my money there, it just might be worth the investment. This guy might win. I might say all the other things were true up to the point where if I back this guy, I think he's losing anyway. And it would be better that I found someone in a similar situation with a better leg to stand on, not because I don't want this guy to win, but because I already can read the writing on the wall. This one ain't happening. Or I think this guy is right, but he did some really stupid things to get himself there, and it would be better that I back someone that didn't do those stupid things, that's equally right. Okay, Those are examples of things you might do. Or, because my belief has changed here, I'm not going to be misled by people that use this belief against me in the future. Or that use this false belief to create affinity that I don't want to be part of anymore. So there's often things you're going to do or do differently because of the opinion that you formed. But always remember the IDGAF option. IDGAF. I-D-G-A-F. I don't give an F. Alright? So... After this whole process, you may realize that your best choice at this point is to not give a damn about it ever again. That you've analyzed it, you've considered it, you've thought it out, you've thought about the ramifications to the world and the children and the children's children and the children being the future and the flowers for orphan society and everything else in the world. And you've realized that even though this is concerning to you, it doesn't do any good for it to be, be a concern of yours, that there's nothing you can do at all, and that it would be better that you do positive things rather than just simply sit around thinking about it, being opposed to it, even though there's nothing you can do. And it will prevent you from deluding yourself into the belief that your opinion changes anything. That's one of the things we have to realize is your opinion doesn't mean jack shit to the way the world is going to run. Your actions do, your opinion does not. Your opinion controls how you're going to run, not how someone across the street, let alone across the country, is going to live their life. You don't get to decide jack shit for anybody else in the world unless you use the authority of the state and then you're really not the one doing it. You're just participating in it in a mass delusion. You don't get to set policy. You don't get to decide shit outside of your circle of influence. Now, if you work for a certain group or company or whatever, and you have certain powers and authorities, you get to decide that, and that might influence somebody else being able to or not being able to do something. But be very clear about where that power exists and where it ends. And your opinion doesn't mean shit if you don't have the power behind it. And the one place you always have the power is the, the, the gray matter between your ears and your hands and your legs and your body and your mouth and what you do and what you say and how you actually do things for good elsewhere. That's where you actually have power. So always remember the IDGAF option. If you realize in the end that the best thing to do is not care anymore, then don't. And don't have any guilt about that. But what about the people over here? You know what? I, I, I think they're, they're lovely people. I think that it would be better that this not occur for them. Um, and if there was anything I actually could do, I would. But there's nothing I can do. Here's what I can do, so I'm going to go do that. That's so selfish. No, actually what it is is self-focused. We need to be self-focused beings. 
and focus on what we can do and understand our limitations. And let those limitations be what they are. Because the guy that broke the four-minute mile wasn't worried about the plight of the strife-tailed poofy flu in South Africa or whatever that he had no control over. He worried about breaking that four-minute mile the first time. And a lot of other people were able to do it because of the psychological barrier that was broken. So too for you. There is a, a symbolic four-minute mile and hopefully many in your life. Things that you will do that other people will look at and go, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And those are things for good and things for the positive. And that means you need the IDGAF option to be used. It will seem excessively to other people. But to you, you'll wonder if you're using it judiciously enough as you develop this process for yourself. Step 10, the most important step in the entire process. Remember, you still might be wrong. Remember that you still might be wrong. In Richard Bach's book, Illusions... Uh, Illusions is the subtitle. It's Confessions of a Reluctant Messiah. Richard's character meets a guy. These two guys fly planes together in a field. I won't give you the whole synopsis. But the the, the character he meets is like a, a reincarnation of, of the, the Messiah. Okay? Whatever that means for you individually and personally. The, the same type of thing. Or think of it this way. What if Jesus came today for the first time, not to come back? All right? Um, what would that might be like uh, through this fictitious lens? And in their conversations around the campfire at night, at one point Richard says to Donald, who's this other character, how do you know all these things? And he's like, oh, when you get the job, they give you a book. He said, a magic book? He goes, oh, you can do it with any book, but this is the book they give you. He throws this book to him. He says, how does it work? He said, well, you open it with a question in your mind, and you'll find a saying phrase. And that phrase tells you what to do in the particular situation. He says, it's a magic book. And Donald's like, you could do it with a book about Snoopy the dog if you read it the right way. But yeah, sure. He never asks for it back, and Richard keeps the book. At the end of the story, as you might imagine, as a messiah, Donald gets killed. And Richard is distraught and distressed and freaked out and doesn't know what to do, and the book falls to the ground, and the page that it's on says... Everything in this book could be wrong. Hit you in the gut. That is the personal punch in the stomach you have to give yourself at the end of all of these opinions. I am going to go forward now with this knowledge, this independent concept, these thoughts, but I could be wrong. I don't believe that I'm wrong, and I have far more reason to believe I'm right now than I ever had before in my life, but it's at least possible. The cup might really be blue instead of orange. I don't have any control over that, so now I have to live my life based on this information. That's it. If you take that process, you will find yourself using the IDGAF option a lot, but you will become very, very comfortable with your beliefs. And you'll start to realize that it's not really scary to challenge yourself. And you'll actually find yourself challenging yourself in the long term less and less. In the beginning, you'll do it all the time. But then you realize there's not that much to have an opinion about. You think there is, but if we ignore the, 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 the superfluous opinions, do I use sandalwood or tan? I don't know. They're both brown to me, dude. They're both beige to me. I don't care. If we ignore that type of opinion, big world opinions, it's, it's a couple dozen that are used to manipulate you all the time. You know? Really? 
And they, then they, if you, we take them down, there's actually a, a certain few opinions that make all of them more clear. Do you actually believe in liberty, or do you believe in fictitious liberty, where everybody gets the freedom to do the things you think are okay, but nobody gets to do the stuff you don't think's okay? Once you form an opinion on that and you're honest with yourself about it, all these other things come into context really, really fast. And like I said, this seemingly long process it took me half an hour to explain might take you 60 seconds to do if what you're examining is really similar to something you already did it with 10 years ago. And that's why people will say, well, you don't do this. You just immediately have an opinion. No, I consider everything. Just sometimes I've considered this one before. And all I'm going to do is just, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I remember that. I'm not going to do this again because I already did this very, very intensively. And all the information you think is earth-shattering information in your brain. Did you know this? Yeah, I knew all that. And I understand it in context, and it's not what you think it is. And you're not ready to hear my rebuttal, so I'm going to be okay with you doing that. And by the way, I don't give a shit. You have to care. No, 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 I don't. IDGAF. IDGAF. I should make a shirt for the gear shop that says IDGAF with the Franklin algorithm and spherical compensation factor on the back. Right, so the, the, if you've seen that formula before, I'll put a link in the show notes to it for you guys today. Um, I just put it back up on Facebook. It's it's my way of handling bullshit soup in the media. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to look it up for yourself if you want to. You know, my final thoughts on this. People sometimes ask when I do shows like this, these intellectual shows, how is this a survival topic? Uh, if I have to tell you, I don't know that you've been paying attention to what I just said for the last you know 90 minutes, but... This is the most important thing I can do to help you be free. And most people get into survivalism and prepping to preserve liberty one way or another. Whether it's the liberty to eat well or the liberty that they imagine that their country represents or whatever it is. That's what they're interested in is freedom and liberty. You cannot be free if your mind is being programmed by somebody else. Even if that somebody else thinks they mean you well. They can't know what you know. They can't understand your emotions and your feelings and your passions and your anger, your hatreds and, and, and what really is the most important thing in your life for you. Only you can do that. Only you can do that. And this is how to do it. This is exactly how to do it. And remember to reboot. That's probably the most important thing. Take information fast. Take daily walks. Contemplate flavors, colors, something, anything. Eat well. Love yourself. Love your family and friends. Realize what actually matters. Realize what means something. The planting a tree that will live for a 100 years is probably more important than your opinion about gay marriage. It really is. And realize that programming is exactly what it sounds like. It's the specific information input designed to create a specific desired output in you. And only you can change that. Only you can decide, I'm going to create my own inputs. I'm going to do my own debugging. I'm going to form my own opinions. And I'm going to determine my own outputs. Or you can let the system keep doing it for you. It's a crappy way to live. It's being a slave. And here's the thing. You don't have to agree with anything that I've determined for myself to use the process I've given you today. You might use it to form a well-reasoned, indisputable argument with me over an issue that I'm sure I'm right about. And I might look at it and go, 
I don't think it is. And you can be happy with your life, and I can be happy with mine. Most people with a show like this would never do that. They would never actually empower their audience to, to precisely and accurately develop a formula of disagreement with them. They want to shove the information and the opinion about the information into their audience because they want to program you. I don't want to program you. I want to provide information that you can choose to use and not to use in any arrangement that you see fit to design and program your own life. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Revolution is you.